Good morning, church, and welcome to worship at Northside. It's good to have those online. Along with those on site, we appreciate you battling through the snow uh, to get to church today. It was really coming down out there, and we appreciate your presence here today. It's an open secret that I enjoy preaching sermon series. We began 2023 in January with Sunday dinner. Uh, last week was Student Sunday. Our youth did an amazing job. And in two weeks, we began the Lent series, Healing Touch. That left two Sundays for February 12th and 19th. I looked at the calendar, realized these dates bracket Valentine's Day. One thing led to another, and a two-Sunday sermon series emerged. Love is... Love is not. And over the coming weeks, we're going to be focusing on one scripture passage from 1 Corinthians 13. That's familiar to many of you. It's known as the love chapter. I'm curious how many married couples here had it read at your weddings? Yeah, I'm seeing a number of hands. It's an extremely popular passage, but you probably know Paul was not simply addressing married couples. He was talking to the church. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek, and we've seen before that the Greek language is much richer than English. It has multiple words for love. There's eros, which is romantic love, storgy, family love, philia, which is friendship, a brotherly, sisterly love, and then there is agape, godly love the love that God shares with us, and we in turn are called to share with others. And that is the type of love that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. Every time you hear the word love, underlying it is the Greek term and understanding agape. So there are two different ways you can define a word, what it is and what it is not. So this week, we're going to look at what Paul says love is, and then next week, we're going to look at what love is not. Today's scripture passage is a bit longer than normal. I'd invite you to hear the chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is easily, not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But when there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. 
Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. If you had to choose, what one word would you use to describe God's most fundamental character? And because of our personal experiences, there would be a variety of different and appropriate terms that might come to mind. But today we're hearing what 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says, God is love. And we recognize from the outstart that we cannot begin to measure or understand God's love. We cannot span the width and the height and the depth of how God loves each and every one of us that ultimately we're describing the indescribable. When you turn to Scripture, what you discover is that oftentimes the writers use the language of poetry, simile, metaphor, that God's love is like a groom for the bride, a parent for a child, a shepherd for the sheep, a potter for the clay, a hen for her chicks, an eagle for his young. There's a statement I've shared before, and every time I do, it stops me in my tracks. What the Bible testifies to us is that the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, from subatomic particles to galactic grandeur, is head over heels in love with creation, which means that God is head over heels in love with you and with me. God loves us with the infatuation of a teenager's first crush, with the possessiveness of a jealous lover, with the passion of a newlywed couple, with the protectiveness of first-time parents, with the fidelity of a couple celebrating their 50th anniversary, with the selflessness of a grown child caring for their aging parents. God loves us. And the culmination of that love is found in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. All that and more is encompassed in the statement, God is love, and this agape love of which Paul describes As God has loved us, we in turn are called to love others. There's a central passage in the Gospels that we turn to time and again. In sermons, Bible studies, personal devotion, you remember when that person came up to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? And out of all the 600 plus commandments, laws, and ordinances of the Hebrew Scripture, Jesus said, number one, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he didn't stop there. He said the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. They are connected in a way that is inseparable. To do one is to do the other. To neglect the one is to neglect the other. As God has loved us, we are called to love others. In his last night with his disciples at the final supper they shared, in John's gospel, Jesus told them, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, 
love one another, the entire world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. With love, we fulfill Christ's commands. Without love, we miss the point entirely. Love is always the default of the Christian ethic and lifestyle. And if you're in a situation and in doubt, the answer is love. Because God's agape love is poured into our lives. Packed down, shaken together, overflowing. And whenever I think of that image, it calls to mind a tiered fountain with ever-increasing larger basins as it descends towards earth. And God pours that love into our lives. And it brims over and overflows into every relationship that we have. But what does that love look like? 1 Corinthians 13 challenges us to radical agape love. And there are parts of the scriptures you've heard this morning that ascend to the heights of poetry. But the apostle is also extremely prosaic, down-to-earth, and concrete ways. Talks about what love is what love is not. This morning, I I encourage you to keep a spiritual scorecard in your head. And as we list these eight different attributes of what love is, grade yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to grade yourself. If you're really brave and married, when you get home, ask your spouse to grade you. How well are you doing in each area? Where do you excel? Where do you need work? Where does the Holy Spirit need to do something new in our lives? Love is. Paul begins by saying love is patient. And when he says patient, he's not talking about a patience with things, but a patience with people. Frankly, things are easier. In Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit and how that naturally and supernaturally appears in our lives when we dwell or abide in God's presence. One of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. King James Version doesn't use the word patience. It uses the term long-suffering. That may be a tad more descriptive. But it's patience over the long haul. It's the patience of a parent teaching a child how to tie her shoes. The patience of a teacher introducing a class for the first time to quadratic equations. Patience of a coach walking an infield yet again through a 6-4-3 double play. It's the patience of a physical therapist teaching a patient how to walk again. Love is patient. Love is kind. And when you get to kind, it almost sounds like a watered-down gruel of love. Kindness as divine love? But think about how better our world would be how much better our relationships would be if we were simply kind to one another. In fact, it's become a byword in our family. Whenever somebody's being perhaps a little snarky or short or stubborn, we will look to the other and say, kindness. It's a reminder that of all the people you love, the basic foundation, the least you can ask, is being kind. I'd also remind you that kind in English shares the same root word as kin, K-I-N, or kindred. It means family. And this is a really good reminder within the life of the church, we are family. 
We are joined together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And what that means is that sometimes we agree, sometimes we disagree, but regardless of the conflict or the challenge, we can at least be kind to one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love delights in the truth. Now, next week we will see that this verse is preceded by the words, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. That we are called together to discover God's truth. My observation in my life, as well as in others, is that we're less interested in working together to find the truth and a lot more interested in expressing our opinions. Somebody a while back told me, social media. On social media, everybody has two facts and a baseball bat. And you read some of those exchanges, and there's some truth to that. The anonymity of being online, we say nasty things to one another. But what if we return to what Stephen Covey expressed in this way, seek first to understand rather than to be understood. To try to put yourself in the other person's place, that in a conversation you're not waiting for a pause so you can tell them what the truth is, but instead explore together what God's truth is. Because there is a strength in numbers, and your perspective and your opinion will inform mine. Winston Churchill was once uh, charged with changing his mind on a political issue, and when asked about it, he said, well, you know what? I've learned something since yesterday. Together, we discover God's truth in our lives. God's love always protects. God protects us. We're called to protect others. Think of some of the ways God protects us. Psalm 91 is known as a soldier's psalm. And in part it says, God will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. In the traditional service, our first hymn has the phrase, wings of grace. Yesterday, my wife was watching with our granddaughter, the Berry College Eagle Cam you never seen this before, Google it. It is wonderful. It's, just, it's a nest that's reestablished every year, and both the male and female eagle together raise the eaglet. And we were watching them care for this young bird. But I remember a picture several years ago when a, snow, a real snowstorm had moved through, and there was an image of the nest, and all you could see was snow covering it with the faintest image of an eagle's body underneath with the eaglet underneath her or him, keeping the young bird warm and safe and dry. God protects us. We're called to protect others. There are moments in our life when we can do for someone else what they cannot do for themselves. Ben shared with you a few moments ago about the Habitat for Humanity build that we're doing. Now, Ms. Teresa has invested countless hours and effort and energy and money into the home that will be hers. But we have the divine privilege to assist her in that. I think about the panoply of ministries and missions that various parts of our church are involved in. It's Trinity House or Covenant House or BCM or you go on down the list. Part of what we're doing is helping to protect those who are vulnerable that we are at a moment in life where we can do for someone else what they cannot do for themselves, and there will be other moments in our lives 
when we receive that same grace from others. That love always protects. Love always trusts. A different translation is God, uh, love trusts or believes all things. Here's a challenge with this statement. We live in a fallen world and we are sinful people and we are not always trustworthy or believable. And here's the warning. If you trust and believe people, sooner or later you're going to get burned. Paul says, trust and believe anyway. Because ultimately, agape love, Christian love, is not about who the other person is, whether they're lovable, whether they're unlovable. It's about who we are in Jesus Christ that we love because we have been loved. Then, love always hopes, regardless of the past or the present, love always hopes for the future. My guess is every one of us have relationships in our family or within our community or church that we've been extremely tempted to give up on because that person will never change. They will be the same tomorrow as they are today. Thank God the Lord didn't have that attitude towards me. We're called to never give up on the other. As hard as that might be, because we, of all people, are the people of hope. We believe tomorrow will be better than today. We live with the hope of glory, which is the resurrection. And the resurrection means that the best day is always ahead of us. Love always hopes. And love always perseveres. It endures. It is there for the long haul. It doesn't give up, especially in our relationships with others. You never know. It may be the next word, the next action, the next prayer that finally turns the key to their heart. And it may not be us. I have looked back on churches I've served, and I'll read in the newsletter, people that are extremely involved in the life of the church, I spent years trying to get them involved. And the next pastor comes, and they're like, oh, I'll do that. It's like, what's up with that? Paul said, some plants, some water, others harvest. It perseveres, regardless of what the temporary result we see. And then love never fails. That's the promise God gives to us. When everything else passes away, love does not. Love does not fail. God's love for us and our love for others remains. This agape love is much sterner stuff than what our world typically talks about when it says love. It's more than Hallmark cards. It's more than candy boxes. It's more than rom-coms that always have a final happy ending in the last three minutes. Christian love is about the spirit, not about the heart. It's about willing and not feeling. Christian love is not an emotional state into which we fall, but a spiritual state towards which we strive. And agape love is always costly, is always self-sacrificial. I've made this assertion before. I don't really know, think you know you love somebody until it's going to cost you something. And then the rubber hits the road. It's easy to say I love somebody until it's going to cost me something. And then I've got to decide am I going to walk the talk? 
If you've been on a new car lot lately, you'll see on the window there is a sticker that tells you what the cost to operate that car will be for the coming year. Any relationship you've got, it comes with a cost. Friendship requires time and attention. Marriage needs a maintenance plan. Being a parent is the hardest work I've ever done. But ultimately, what we pay is the investment we make. And the investment has eternal returns in our lives and in the lives of others. Boys and girls, this coming Tuesday, February the 14th, is what? Valentine's Day. You missed one word in that. Does anybody know what that one word is? Saint. It's Saint Valentine's Day. And it was originally a church holiday or holy day. Now, how it emerged is an inseparable mix of fact and a myth. Uh, most scholars agree it came out of the Roman festival of Lupercalia. Lupercalia was a day of every kind of excess. That's the G-rated version. Imagine Mardi Gras on Fat Tuesday in New Orleans, in the French Quarter, on steroids. That was Lupercalia. In 496 A.D., Pope Galatius of Rome wanted to transform that pagan feast into a Christian holy day. And so he made it the feast day or the martyr day for two different men named Valentine who both died as martyrs. Uh, the first was trying to protect a family who was being persecuted in 269 AD by the Roman Empire. A few years later, there was another person who was put to death for trying to convert a Roman family to the Christian faith. And so the feast day became known as St. Valentine's Day on February 14th. Fast forward some centuries later. February the 14th is primarily about cupids and hearts and cards and candy. And I'm guilty of this as well. Oftentimes even the saint is dropped. It appears that Galatius' attempt failed. Agape love is not romantic love. It's not warm and fuzzy. It is not feelings. It is instead a self-sacrificial love that gives of our lives to others. The reality is in 21st century America, thanks be to God, most of us will not be physically martyred for the faith. There are those around the world who are, but we can in very practical, down-to-earth ways, just like, the Paul, like the Paul describes, can lay down our lives for others. In the coming days, maybe we could celebrate St. Valentine's Day by giving up on that grudge that we've carried way too long. By forgiving the other person, even if they don't want that forgiveness, don't think they need it or are unwilling to forgive us in turn. Might be by texting or giving online to the victims for Assyria and Turkey earthquakes, giving a spell of rest to somebody who's a long-term caregiver, sending a card to somebody who's suffering, praying for somebody who's in need of that person that you're just about ready to give up on, persevere for another day, a week, a month, or a year. 
Actions that cost us time, energy, and effort are true expressions of Christian love. It's how God has loved us. It's how we're called to love others. Love is patient, kind, delights in truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Let us pray. Gracious God, we cannot even begin to imagine the love you have for each of us and that our deepest, richest human relationships only begin to hint that divine love, that agape love that you pour into our lives. And we, in turn, have the chance to share with others. Teach us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Teach us to love ourselves as you have loved us. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen.